invite you to turn with me, if you'd like, to the book of Acts, chapter 27, is where we're going to be walking through uh, together. It's our pattern following Easter and during Easter tide. Uh, we'll enter into the book of Acts every year, and here we're at the conclusion of that book. And we do so because we want to try to picture or imagine what it looks like to be a resurrection community. In light of Jesus rising from the dead, what does it look like to be formed in Him and His resurrection here in this world? Here's the big picture for the book of Acts. The life of Jesus Christ is being lived out in the life of His disciples. Whatever happened to Jesus is happening to the disciples in the book of Acts or the Acts of the Apostles. The life of Jesus is being told and Luke's gospel is now being retold. It is being relived through the lives of his apostles, which means that it's also being lived through our lives as well. Now today, in chapter 27, what we see is we see Paul traveling with a bunch of others on the way to Rome. And this is after he's endured some trials with uh, Roman leaders, the Felix and, and Festus. Paul was found guilty of blasphemy by the Jews, but the Romans found him innocent of all and any charges. And yet, Paul appeals to Caesar, his right as a Roman citizen, to plead his case, though there was no threat to him from the Romans. He pleads his case to Caesar. Why does he do this? He doesn't fear death. Rather, he does this so that he can have an audience with the world leader. He wants an audience in Rome. And so, we come to chapter 27, and we have en route to Paul, or en route to Rome, we have Paul. The sea is threatening to swallow him up and the witness of the gospel, and yet God is protecting and God is providing. We will watch and see how he protects and provides for his people in the midst of the sea. To that end, though, would you pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you've given us your word. Your Son, who is the living word, would you draw near to us now? Conform us more into your own image by the work of your Holy Spirit, that we might be more like you, living in your love, in your grace, and in your mercy, that we might be that love, mercy, and grace to others. Form us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if we're to read through the book of Acts, chapter 27, it takes up a lot of space. And Luke only gives 28 chapters to the Acts of the Apostles, and there's 40-some verses given to this one shipwreck. And we're kind of left asking, why? Why so much space? Especially when Paul was in Corinth for over three years, and he gets one little sentence, and Paul was there about two and a half more years. That's about it for two and a half years of life. And here we get information about Cnidus and Lycia and the fair havens off the coast of Crete. Who cares about the ships that he was on or the Roman centurion? Why so much space? Well, this book is closing down soon. Only one more chapter. And as it closes, we, we recognize more and more clearly that the life of Jesus is being lived out in the apostles and then through Paul. And as the book ends, we realize, well, this story then must go on and it must be lived out through us as well. So Acts 27 is not only a story about Paul, it's our story. What's happening here in chapter 27 must happen to all who would follow Jesus. And here's what this story shows us, that all who hide their lives in Christ, that we who hide ourselves in Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ, we carry on his life and mission 
boldly and with great perseverance, that we who hide ourselves in Christ carry on the mission of Jesus Christ boldly, with great perseverance. See, we are the body of Christ, and we draw confidence from a story such as Acts 27, so that as we serve in His mission wherever He puts us, wherever He leads us, we can trust that God will protect us and that God will provide for us. That's the end of the story here. So if you tune out from here on, that's fine. Just know God will protect you. God will provide you as you remain faithful to Him and to His mission. And this is important because life in this world is fraught with danger for followers of Jesus Christ. Paul knew trouble, difficulty, hardship, and trouble at sea was nothing new. Second Corinthians, he records, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and day at sea. So tally that one more, and you've got a fourth shipwreck. The story here exhorts any who would follow Jesus to count the cost. Because to follow Jesus, it will be costly. Chapter 27, verses 1 and following. When it was decided that we should set sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius and embarking in a ship of Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian, from Thessalonica. If we were to walk through the next few verses, we'll see that resurrection life will cost much. In fact, it will cost our entire life. That life following Jesus did not lead to smooth sailing. Our trip begins peacefully here. Plans were made, provisions are secured, and so we set sail. Now, I'm not going to read through all of these ports and all these places that they stop, but I do have a map. So, Kind of blurry, but we start over on the lower right-hand corner by in Jerusalem there, and we go to, to the, the port at Caesarea, and then we travel up the coast on the Mediterranean Sea to Sidon, and then we go up around the island of, of Cyprus following the borders of, of modern-day Turkey there in Cilicia and Pamphylia until Paul and company arrive at Myra there on the, the southern border of Turkey. And at Myra, they get into a, they, they, they board a different ship, a much larger ship carrying wheat or grain. It's huge. New captain, new pilot of the boat. They set sail heading west, hoping to hug the coastline as much as possible, but then a west wind blows and prevents them from further venturing into the, the sea. Because you can see where they're heading up to Rome, over there on the far upper left. When the wind strikes, they then change course and, 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 and sail towards Crete, where they go on the, the eastern coast and, and sail around to the southern coast until they land at Fair Havens. Well, that sounds nice. Fair Havens. Luke gives us, as Luke, our author, he gives us a sign that not all is well, however, in Fair Havens. He says the fast has already occurred, and all that we need to know about that is that that means it's late in the season for traversing the Mediterranean Sea. Luke is indicating to us that it may have started well, but it ain't going to all go well. Look at verse 10. This is Paul advising them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship 
than what Paul said. If you're a parent, this is what happens. You parent your kids and they pay more attention to other people because you don't know what you're talking about, right? And so this is where we go, verse 12, because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. They want to get just to the western side of Crete where there's a more suitable harbor, and they do plan to winter there. It should be safe. Experience guides Paul here, though, and he warns the rulers of the ship who don't heed his words. He warns that there's danger coming. He instructs them in the way of salvation at sea. It's much like Jonah. When he first said, I'm the problem, cast me off, what did the sailors do? They didn't cast him off. They held fast, and the storm arose. He held for them the word of salvation, and so does Paul. Verse 14, soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. So they were attempting to hug the southern coast of Crete. It was just a short journey compared to what they've been doing. But in that short journey where they had a south wind blowing them towards the the shoreline, what happened is a northeaster comes and it blows them away from the shoreline. The attempt to hug the coast was thwarted. The ship was cast suddenly offshore into the wide open sea. The following verses say that they throw their cargo off, the wheat going into the sea. They throw their tackle overboard. This is the last ditch effort to to maintain contact with the land of Crete there. But the wind won the day. And the text records that for many days they were adrift at sea. And it says neither sun nor moon was visible. Well, how do you navigate with no sun or moon? And so they are lost and they despair. Verse 16 recording all hope of our being saved. Notice that Luke is including himself on this journey. Our author is with Paul. He he records, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Okay, spoiler alert, they make it to Rome eventually, okay? We can close the map now. If we step back from that story for just a bit, we do begin to recognize Paul's life here does imitate a little bit the life of Jonah, doesn't it? In a lot of ways. They're both called to preach the gospel, the good news to the world powers at that time, and they both board boats. The difference, of course, is that Paul is pursuing that mission and that call where Jonah was running from it. Therefore, when Jonah enters the sea, he gets swallowed up by the sea, but Paul, adrift at sea, even though he's threatened, he is not consumed. No great fish devours Paul rather than Jonah. Now, there's a couple of things I just want to indicate here or just make note of here. Here, This journey on the sea images for us the church's mission, okay? Chapter 27 here, this this journey on the sea, it images for us the mission of our church to go and make disciples of all nations. Okay, follow me for a bit because throughout scriptures, oftentimes the imagery of land represents God's people, And the imagery of the sea represents Gentiles or non-Israel nations, okay? So if you're reading your Bibles and you come to Jonah and he's supposed to go to Gentile Ninevites, he's supposed to go there, where do we see him go? He goes onto the sea first and he's cast headlong into the sea representing the nations because that's what God called him to. So even though he rejected that mission, God still works it so that he's still cast into the sea and he is saved before he goes on to dry land 
a raised Jonah going to minister to the world powers. So when we see Paul and the gospel going on to the sea, it's the image for us. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ going out to the nations. That is a fulfilling of Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations. A couple of weeks ago, we preached at the end of John's gospel where Peter, in the boat on the sea, goes to, to meet the resurrected Jesus, and he dives headlong into the sea. And that's what his job is to be moving forward. Followers of Jesus are thrown into the sea of the nations. We are ministers of his gospel. We are to be models of his grace. Fishers of men making disciples. This journey on the sea here images for us the mission of the church of Jesus Christ. Secondly, obedience to this call, that mission that I just mentioned, obedience to this call means trial and hardship for Jesus' body. See, one cannot set sail in the sea of the nations and not incur, incur threat and even harm. That's why Jesus exhorts us to count the cost, he says. See, Acts concludes here in the final chapter, it's quite open-ended to indicate that whoever comes after Acts chapter 28, you and I included, we are the next steps. We are the next chapters. The life of Jesus Christ being written in and through our lives. And if the life of Jesus is being lived through us, then we can be assured of this. Not only do we share in his life and resurrection, but we also share in the fellowship of his sufferings. Unworthy as we are to share in it. Trial and hardship are sure to accompany an obedient following of Jesus Christ. So, in some ways, this story should instill in us a proper fear of the Lord, of what He can call us to be and what He can call us to do. He is our captain, and we follow Him into the sea. But it should also instill in us great confidence that the God who calls us into the chaos of the nations, He will provide for us. He will protect us all of our days. And we have to ask, well, how can we be so sure that He will protect and He will provide for us? Yes, we see it, Him here doing this for Paul and company here. And we'll see that throughout. How can we be so confident? We can be confident because underneath this narrative, all that's happening that Luke records here as Paul journeys to Rome, they're being led by a God who navigates the storm, who leads his prophet, who leads his people, and provides the way of salvation. And we'll see that more and more as we go through the story. But secondly, also remember who it is that Paul serves. Remember who it is that we serve as we are cast as fishermen into the heart of the nation's sea. Do we not serve Christ wasn't he also threatened at open sea as the storm raged, the winds threatened to undo or to overtake, but at whose command the wind and the waves obeyed? Is he not king and ruler over all the nations? And did not Jesus also walk on the water, a display that he has authority upon and over the sea, upon and over the nations as king of kings and lord of lords? He is the one who traverses upon the nations. Who then should we fear? What then 
should we fear? We see in Acts chapter 27, what we have is a God who guides, a God who protects, a God who provides for the needs of his people as they serve and obey him. And in a lot of ways, this ship, this image here of Noah's ark, this is the, the way of salvation, that this ship is the ark of salvation here, the ark of Christ. And all who follow the words of God's prophet will be safe, but those who reject the words of God's prophet will be condemned. Look at uh, chapter 27, verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Doesn't that feel good? Told you so, right? Um, Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. I mean, you're lost at sea. The despair must have been palpable. Loss of life is almost guaranteed. But God gives assurance to Paul, and Paul then passes it on to all on board. For all who would have ears to hear God's promise through the lips of Paul. Now, he says, I told you so. You should have listened to me. But the rebuke is also an exhortation. Listen now. You might have rejected me in the past. You might have rejected the word before. But listen now. For this word is the word of life. Paul speaks with authority as God's word. Paul is assured an audience before Caesar. You're going to make it there, Paul. You're going to make it to Caesar, and therefore you will be safe. And so all who cling to you, who cling to my word through you, will be safe as well. So Paul's exhortation is to hold fast to God and to his word. Unite yourself to God's people. Now, Paul was very reasonable. He has very persuasive rhetoric, but that's not what wins the day here. What wins the day here is God's word. And the one condition that he gives in that word to these men is to cling to God's word, to hide yourself in God's body, in his people, and you will be safe. So that final that so that Paul's final words here of take heart It's not to trust in God's people here, but to trust in the God who saves his wayward and rebellious people. Verse 27, when the 14th night had come as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. Two full seven-day weeks at sea, land is upon them, mercifully drawing near. They test the water's depths, and it confirms it's getting shallower. So that means a new fear arises. We're going to crash into the rocks far from the shore, and we're all to drown with land in sight. So they begin to drop every anchor that they can in the boat. They're hoping to slow this thing down. Attempts were being made at a breakneck pace. And while they're letting down anchors, some on the ship under the guise of dropping anchors, begin to enter one of those rescue boats, planning to abandon everybody else and save their own skin. Verse 31, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. 
Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. There is no salvation outside the ark of Jesus Christ. We remember the story of Cortez and the burning of the ships, right? And we remember Jesus' words about putting the hand to the plow without looking back. He goes on to say, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Our mission as the church or the body of Christ, our mission is to call all people to life. I think I want us to see this. What Paul is, he's correcting, he's rebuking because they're not heeding the word of God here. But what is he calling them to? He's not just winning arguments. He's calling them to life. He's calling them to life. See, we live in a society that is just so full of anger, so full of division. And it's easy to just flee any kind of conflict or to engage it in a very toxic way engaging it maybe only to win the argument. We too can play the game of canceling others or just seeking to destroy others in the name of love. Now, Paul doesn't shy away from disagreement and conflict. In fact, he warns vehemently. He says, if you're going to cut yourself up off from the ark of salvation, there is no hope for you. To cut yourself off, to go in the, 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 the thing that you think is going to save you, Apart from the, the ark of God, salvation in Jesus Christ, like that's not going to save you. But I have the way of life, and the way of life is to attach yourself to God's people and to heed God's word. For Paul, every action, every word aims ever and only at one thing. He is calling them to life, life in Jesus Christ, who is the ark of the salvation. That's why he's on this death-like journey to go declare life to Caesar. He is calling all who would hear to life. So we who are spared the wrath by sailing the Gentile seas in the ark of Christ, we are simply calling the nations to enter in with us, to share the joy and the life that is found in Jesus Christ. We who enter the life of the resurrected Christ, we're simply calling others to that same life in Jesus Christ. And that life is granted throughout our journey on the sea. Look at verse 33. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Taking, taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, he took bread, giving thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it. And be, he began to eat. Then they all were encouraged, and some ate food themselves. We can't read some of those verses without hearing echoes of the end of Luke's gospel, where Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room, where Jesus takes bread like Paul does here, gives thanks for it like Paul does here, and he breaks it like Paul does here, and he gives it to his disciples like Paul does here. And they begin to eat. Now, what is offered by God's prophet here is once again life. It is sustaining life in the ark of salvation on the sea of nations. It is strength for the day as we pray, give us this day our daily bread. As we gather weekly, we partake of the bread of life given through his word and, and in his sacrament. We partake of this bread by faith 
for our strength to fulfill the mission, though all fraught with danger and harm. This is vital for us, whether we feel it or not, because reality is that we are to set sail upon the sea of nations, and the nations are hostile to Jesus Christ, threatening to destroy his body. They've done it before, and yet in his strength, we who serve the bread of life and the living water, we are given that sustenance in order to give it for the life of the world. Verse 39, now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay on the beach at which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisted the foresail to the wind they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. Into the story, they all make it to land on bits and pieces of the ship's, ship or those who could swim. We see this is all of God's doing here. This ship is wrecked. Isaiah foretold the truth that God's will was to crush his suffering servant, who is God's own son, who is Jesus Christ. And I don't know what else to do with this text here except to see that we who follow Jesus will share in that same fate, that we too will be crushed and broken, and it's all according to the will of our good and gracious God. These verses here, the story gives full vent to what we experience in so many seasons of our lives where we just have no control where there seems no certainty of what the right next step is to be or what we are to do. And yet we too must at times cut off the ropes that tether us to what we hold so dear and we pray, trusting that we are in God's hands. And that's really scary. I mean, all of life's transitions create this kind of anxiety, if you're anything like me anyway. <laughs> For, for most of us, these things create anxiety. I was thinking of our high school graduates this week and the, the anxiety that comes with it. There's excitement, but we feel, what's next? What's happening? What am I to be and to do? New parents are encountering this in a new season of life as well. Those who are afflicted with illness, an illness that recurs, what's next? A change in vocation, a need to change vocation. We cast off the anchor and the waves of this broken world threaten to undo us, and yet we trust. And yet we trust. Now, for those who reject the refuge who is Jesus Christ, who would cast off from him the, from his ark of salvation, they will, like this boat, also crash upon the rocks. But no refuge will be found. The apostle Peter describes it this way that those will be cast upon Christ, who is also the rock. He's, Peter says that he is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, that they who refuse him, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. That is the warning that we give to a watching world through lips and through our lives. But we too cut off anchor as Paul does in taking this journey. And we set sail upon the nations bearing the good news of Jesus Christ, knowing that we too will inevitably be cast upon the rock who is Jesus Christ. And he will give thanks to God for us. Hear that? 
He will give thanks to God for us, his body. He will give thanks to God. Taken up by him, we will then be broken by his mighty and his sovereign hand. But he breaks us only to make us new. Resurrection life, new life to be given on dry land. Because we live by faith, we cast ourselves upon Christ, who is, as Peter goes on to say, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. He says, you, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What is it to follow Jesus? Well, in God's grace, it means that we are cast full force upon Christ, who is the rock of our salvation. And in Him, we stand firm. And in Him, we are raised. So that we then grow and we become living stones, living sacrifices, given in all aspects of our lives for the glory of God, for the good of His people, and for the life of the world. So, as you go out from these doors today, as you set sail upon the sea of nations, you sail safely aboard the ark of Jesus Christ, who will surely lead you through tempest and storm as he leads you to dry land of his eternal kingdom, his eternal, most glorious kingdom. So take heart, Christian. Jesus, your captain, calls you. He will protect he will provide, because in him is life for us, life for the world, life to the full, now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have given us this, your word of life, and we pray now we would be conformed in that word more into the image of your dear Son. Lead and guide us, protect and provide for us, that we might serve you gladly all of our days. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.